Well, we have a vision at EV Youth. I am pumped to be here. It's good to be back. Who's pumped to be here? Week one of the year. I've been looking forward to it for a while, but now I'm pumped to see you here. I'll tell you why. I'm pumped for what I believe that God is going to do in you and through you this year. And I'll tell you why. It's because we have a vision. It's the most exciting vision I've ever heard. And here's our vision. It's to see thousands of teens on the coast come to know Christ as radical disciples on fire for His glory. You know, God's done amazing things uh, here among us in the last couple of years. I'm in awe of them. But we have not arrived at our destination. Josh, can you go to the next slide? There we go. Um, we have not arrived at our destination. See, there are 40,000 teenagers on the Central Coast. Did you know that? 40,000. And out of every 100, how many do you reckon know Jesus? Probably about two. Which means 98 don't know the only Savior there is. The one who can give them eternal life for free just by trusting in Him. So we've got work to do. There are so many left to be saved We've got the words of eternal life. We've got God's words in the Bible. We've got a hope. We've got a future. We know the new creation's coming and we're going to be part of it. Can you imagine keeping that to yourself? If you don't know Jesus yet, I want you to come to know him as your savior and as your king. It was the best decision I've ever made. All your leaders will tell you that. Uh, and I'll tell you that it's the best decision they ever made as well. That's our vision, to see thousands of teens come to know Jesus as radical disciples of Jesus on fire for the glory of Jesus. And I'm pumped. That's what gets my heart beating. Are you on board with that? Tell me, are you on board with that? Yeah. But let me ask you a question. See, that is a lot of fuss to make about Jesus. Is he worth it? Well, you might think so, yeah, but how do we know? I'm glad you think so. But is he really worth all that fuss? See, tonight, we're going to be reading from the book of Luke. We've already read from it. We're going to dig into it. And the answer you get from this book, unsurprisingly, is yes. But it all comes down to who this person Jesus is. Who is Jesus? And that's the main thing Luke's trying to show us in these early chapters. And I don't reckon there's much of a better place you could go to work that out. See, everyone has a theory about Jesus. Some people think he's an alien. Some people think he's this. Some people think he's that. No one has any evidence for what they're saying. Not many people have evidence for what they're saying. Luke does. You come to the first part of Luke. Chapter 1 explains how he's writing this book. He explains that he's basing it on eyewitnesses that he has carefully investigated. And he's written it, just the facts, so that we can have certainty, is the word that's written there. And as I've been studying Luke for the last little bit to prepare for this term, I've been just blown away. I can't tell you how blown away I've been by the historical nature of Luke. I'll give you one example. There's a guy called um, Sir William Ramsey. He was an archaeologist. You know what that is? Digs stuff out of the ground and works out about the past. Now, not many archaeologists get called Sir, like knighted by the Queen for being so good at archaeology. But he did. He was good. In fact, he was the best in his field. He died about 100 years ago. Um, and he was the leading authority of the area that this, this is written in. And he wasn't a Christian. When he was at university, they actually taught him that the book of Luke and also the book Acts, which Luke also wrote, 
were written about a long time later and that they were pretty inaccurate. That was what he was taught at university. But then he became an archaeologist and he started digging around in the, in the Asia Minor region. And the thing was, dig after dig revealed things that confirmed that what Luke had written was accurate. And so he wrote, I'll, I'll read you a quote. In fact, it's going to come up on the screen. Further study showed that the book could bear the most minute scrutiny and that it was written with such judgment, skill, art and perception of truth as to be a model of historical statement. I'll read you another quote. This is the same guy, a non-Christian archaeologist. Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, this author should be placed along with the finest historians. Lots of people want to say there's no evidence for Jesus. There is. There's loads. They just don't want to face it. In week five, before youth, we'll have a talk in there called Evidence. We'll spend an hour just going through some of it. You can come and consider it. But listen to what an archaeologist has to say. Luke was writing history. So you can't pretend that Jesus was a legend. Whatever else Jesus was, he was definitely a real man, and this is definitely what he was like. And so the question we're asking tonight is, is he worth all that fuss? I can't think of a better place to start than the book of Luke, because we're going to come face to face with what Jesus really did, what he really said, what he was really like, and you're going to see that Jesus is a man that you can't ignore, boys. Now, I hope you take home daily read notes and get stuck into that, whether you're a Christian or not, because I want you to start looking at Jesus for yourself and thinking about him for yourself, especially if you're a Christian. Because we're a youth group that, that loves God's word, and we want to be reading it every day. Reading the Bible is like breathing. It's hearing your father's voice. Get pumped to watch Jesus live. See what he's like. That's what we're going to do right now. What was he like? Is he worth all the fuss? We're looking at chapter 7, and there's a big challenge in this chapter as well. It's how will you... Respond to him. So if you've got your Bible there, keep it open. Chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 1. And as we look at this event here, what we're going to see is that Jesus is a man with authority that you can't ignore. Have a look at verse 1. He's just been teaching the people, as Dan said, recognized to be the greatest moral teachings of any man that ever lived. And when Jesus finished saying all these things, verse 1 it says, He entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued very highly, was ill and about to die. You get the picture? Here's Capernaum. It's a, it's a real town. Now it's just kind of rubble, but you can go and look at it. Not a big town. From here to Terrigal High, about how big it was. 1,500 people lived there. And I love that picture because when you see it, you start to realize this is a real place, real people, real events. Now, a centurion is an officer in the army, a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred men. Centurion, century. And you get that right at the end there? His servant is sick. Now I don't know why his servant's sick. It never says. Maybe he ate bad KFC. A piano might have fallen on him. We don't know. He's in a worse state than Anthony Mundine, though. You know that. It says he's about to die. Now, have you ever noticed that in a small town, everyone knows everything about everyone else? You ever notice that? You sometimes feel that around here on the Central Coast. It's a bit creepy. People I don't even know know things about me that I don't even remember telling anyone. It's weird. And it happens all the time. Now, it's no different back in the day, yeah? 
Words got around. This guy's doing miracles. So verse 3, have a look at it there. Get your Bible out, chapter 7, verse 3. It says, The centurion heard of Jesus and, and sent him some elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, saying, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So what happens? Jesus goes with him. But then the centurion starts freaking out. No way. I'm not worthy. You can't have Jesus come to my house. What are you doing? So verse 6, the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Man, that's how you respond to Jesus. You don't come to Jesus saying, I'm worthy. I deserve your love, Jesus. No, you're not. That's not how we, we come to him. We come to Jesus saying, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve you, Jesus. I'm a sinner. Now, that's actually why the Jewish people rejected Jesus. Because they were really religious. And religious people, and he says over and over again in the book of Luke, religious people don't think they need a savior. You see that in verse 4. They think it's about deserving it. And that's the problem with religion. It blinds you. It blinds you to the fact that you need a savior. Religious people actually need saving from their religion before they can even be saved by Jesus. It's the same with you. Don't come to Jesus saying, I'm worthy, I'm good enough, because you're not, I'm not. No one is. Christianity is not about being good enough. It's not about earning your way to heaven. It's not about the rules. It's like this centurion. It's about coming to Jesus and saying, I'm not worthy. Don't try to be worthy. When you come like that, he listens. So if you're not a Christian tonight and you think, I'm not good enough, I need to get back together. No, don't do that. Just come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm not worthy. Please be my savior. Take me to heaven. Now, that's one clue about how to respond to Jesus. There's another clue in here. You respond to Jesus in faith. How hectic is the centurion's faith? He's like, just say the word, Jesus. You don't even need to come to my place. Just say it. How's that for faith? I'll tell you how you know it's a lot of faith. You know something's a lot of faith when Jesus is impressed. Okay? Have a look at verse 9. Get this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Jesus is amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he says, I tell you, I have not found such, great, uh, such faith even in Israel. Now, I'll give you a warning. You can't copy everything you read in the Bible. You get into a lot of trouble if you do that. Because the Bible sometimes just describes what happens and just tells you how it is. It doesn't necessarily mean you're supposed to copy it. And if you approach the Bible that way, you get into a lot of trouble. It says Moses got drunk and took off all his clothes. Okay. Actually, it was Noah. No, don't copy that. You don't come to the Bible just copying everything you see there. You look and see whether it tells you whether that's a good thing to copy or not. And sometimes it doesn't tell you. Here it does, because when Jesus is impressed, you know that's a good thing, and you want to copy that. So we want to come to Jesus with this kind of faith. Check out what happens. This is nuts. Look at verse 10. When the men who'd been sent returned to the house and found the servant... Wait, let me start again. Then the men who'd been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Isn't that amazing? It's not a magic trick. It's not medicine because Jesus isn't even there. He just gives the order and it's done. 
And maybe you're thinking, and I get this, I really relate to this, but you think, nah, that's impossible. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Miracles are supposed to be impossible. If Jesus is God's son who he claimed to be, the son of the almighty God, he can do the impossible. Now, sometimes we hear this kind of stuff so often it becomes a cliche. Yeah, yeah, Jesus healed a guy. Don't let it be a cliche. I want you to let this hit you fresh. This really happened. Luke's a historian. This is history. A servant was about to die. Jesus, in another place, said a word and he was healed. I mean, imagine if you were there. Imagine if, I don't know, like let's just try and picture this. Dan Ford is, is out roaming around and someone runs up to him. He's like, Dan, we had a slip and slide and someone ran into a tree and now their spleen's gone everywhere. <laughs> Which has happened, but not at this youth group because we are a safe youth group. But at another place, spleen went everywhere. And imagine, you know, there's blood, there's guts, there's gore. Yay. <laughs> and imagine Dan Ford does this. Don't worry about it. And the spleen goes back in, the skin sews up, the blood's gone. You'd be freaking out. You'd be like, what just happened? I've never gone to that place again. That's weird. You know what? That's what happened. Jesus, a real man, a man like no other that the world has ever seen, healed this guy. That's what the centurion realized about Jesus. That's what gave him so much faith. He realized that Jesus has power. The word the passage uses is authority. The, the word authority means the power to give orders. And so uh, the point to see here is that Jesus has authority. It's the whole point of the story. Look at verse 8. You see it there and what the centurion realizes. He comes to Jesus and says, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He realizes I'm a man with authority, and Jesus is like me. He's got authority. He can do this. Now, just think about the authority that Jesus has. Not just authority to command people around, but authority to order nature. You go out in a big storm and talk to the storm, people think you're crazy. But Jesus talks to sickness and it goes. It's a crazy authority. Now, I don't know how you feel when you face authority. Australians like to do this. We like to stick it to authority. But it's not smart. I'll tell you a story. One time I was driving home late at night. I've been in Sydney. It was really, really late. It was that kind of late at night where you kind of just point the car in the right direction, have a little nap until the next corner. No, you don't do that. But it was close to that. <laughs> and... Um, an orange, you know, the light ahead of me went orange. An orange means speed up if you can, right? No, does not mean that. That's what I learned from this whole experience. The light ahead of me goes orange, but I, I takes, by the time I notice, it's kind of almost too late, and I'm not sure what to do. My thinking's gone because it's tired, and so I, I just go flying straight through the light. By the time I get to it, it's, it's seriously red. Now, how's this for luck? There are no other cars on the road except for one parked at the, at the traffic light and it's a police car. <laughs> Siren goes on and up, I pull over and wind down my window. He comes in. Oh, he comes over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And he comes over. Mate, that was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Yes, sir. 
I have seen people killed from doing that. Yes, sir. I'll start to explain to him. Oh, mate, if you, unless you have a bloody good excuse, I don't want to hear it. Yes, sir. I discover that yes, sir is my favorite word. But that's right, because imagine if I just drove off. Stuff you, policeman. I'm off. I'd be in jail right now. And that's the thing with authority. You can stick it to them, but it comes back to buyer. And a policeman is just an authority over a couple of people country of people. But Jesus is not just an authority over people. He's an authority over nature. He commands sickness. In fact, he's the authority over everything. Nature, sickness, disease, people, because he's the Lord. It's a word that means boss, master, ruler. And the Bible says that he's the Lord over everything and he's the Lord over us. He's got authority that you can't ignore. He's got the right to rule your life. Now, how do you respond to this kind of authority? Similarly, in the car situation, you've got two choices. Number one, you can pretend you can ignore it, which is like driving off with the police siren behind you. You know, you can live your life like that, ignoring Jesus, but one day you'll face him, and it'll be way worse for you then. Or number two, a much more sensible option, you can face reality and come to Jesus now as a friend, not face him later as an enemy. Especially when you realize the other things that Luke writes about Jesus, especially in this passage. I wish we had time to go into them. There's some really good stuff in here, but I'll give you the highlights. Verse 13, Jesus has compassion. He loves people. Verse 15, he raises a dead guy to life. What? His power is limitless. Verse 20 to 22, you see he's the Messiah, which means he's the chosen one, the promised one, the king and savior that God's been saying is going to come for hundreds of years. In verse 48, you see that Jesus forgives our sins. He forgave me. He washed me clean. My sins are gone. My guilt's gone. And he can forgive you. Eva Youth is all about Jesus. And the question we're asking is, is he worth it? Well, we've only seen a small part of the picture, but from what he's seen, he is unquestionably worth it. Yeah? Luke's historical account, you see a man you can't ignore. I don't know whether you are interested in Jesus or not, but you can't ignore him. He's got authority that you would be a fool to ignore. He's got compassion that I don't know why you'd want to ignore. He's got power that you can't ignore. He's the promised Savior, King sent from God. He's the one who can forgive sins. And that's why our vision makes sense. It's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. And so I want to end just by saying what I want this year to look like for us as a youth group, yeah? And I want to get it from the way the people in this passage respond to Jesus. I've got five quick points. Number one, the centurion recognizes Jesus' authority, which means he listens. That's what uh, recognizing authority means. Guys, this year, be a people who listen to Jesus. My vision this year is actually that we would be a people who know the thrill of obeying him who don't just obey when it's easy, but in everything, who don't just go along with what our messed up culture says, but who come to the Bible and listen to it. I'm pumped to see us be that this year. I'm pumped to see a group of people who are different to the world like Jesus. Number two, the centurion comes to Jesus in faith. 
makes a lot of sense when you realize who this guy is. You come to him with faith. You trust the promises he makes. And it totally changes the way you pray. So you do what the centurion does. The centurion comes to Jesus with faith. You know, the Bible does say that there is a connection between your faith and whether God will answer your prayer. It's not the only factor. There's a bunch more. Probably a longer conversation. But we want to come to Jesus with faith. Pray big things because we know Jesus' power. We believe he's able to do the impossible. I'm pumped to see what God does through our prayers. Number three, they're in awe of Jesus. You see it in verse 16. And so guys, we want to be a people who stand in awe of Jesus this year. Amazed by him, wanting to know more. Number four, they praise Jesus. We're going to be a people who praise, loving to declare in song and in prayer and in conversation just how good he is. That's our vision, isn't it? Yeah, to see people passionate about his glory. And number five, they spread the word. In verse 17, you see it. They can't stop talking about it. See, there's nothing unnatural about that. When you're excited about something, you can't stop talking about it. You spread it. Spotify, Snapchat, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, but people are talking about it because they're excited about it. We're going to be people who spread, talk about Jesus, talk about what he's done, how amazing he is. Guys, invite your friends to youth group. Who has ever heard of someone becoming a Christian through being invited to youth group? Put your hand up. It happens. Guys, be inviting your mates to youth group. Double up's coming up. I want you all to think of three mates that you want to invite and bring here because we want to see them meet Jesus and make him their savior and get eternal life. What we've seen tonight is Jesus is the man you can't ignore. It's all about him. He's worth it. So be people who listen. Be people of faith. Be people in awe. Be people who praise. And let's be people who spread. To see thousands of teens come to know Christ as radical disciples and fight for his glory. I've got a feeling we're going to start to see that start happening this year. And I'm going to pray that, that happens. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus, your son, that you show us in the Bible what he's like. Father, we pray that you would save more and more people on the coast. We pray that you would grow us to be more like Jesus. And we pray that you would get glory. We pray that people would see you for who you are, the amazing God you are. And we pray that we would be passionate about seeing that happen. We pray that you would make us people who listen to you, who read your word and change. People of faith, God, make us trust you. People who stand in awe of you. Father, please make us people who love to praise you. And I pray that we would be people who spread. Give us boldness to talk about you because you're the most amazing thing that's ever happened to us. We pray that in Jesus' amazing name. Amen.